Okay, well, we're going to uh, be looking at the Bible together, uh, and we're in the, the book of Colossians in the New Testament part of the Bible, and you'll find where we are on page number uh, 1184. It's very hard, isn't it, for us as human beings. If you're a human being, uh, it's very hard to survive on your own in isolation. I don't know if you've noticed that. I was watching TV, as I sometimes do, uh, uh, this week, and I was watching a drama. And in the story, here was a guy who had to be isolated from friends, and he was living in this uh, very kind of isolated little hut in the middle of a marsh. And uh, he was really sad about this. And and he began to kind of uh, take notice of an insect. <laughs> and the insect, you know, and then he kind of he kept having close-ups of him looking at the insect. And then when he got really low, it was a bit dramatic. He actually knifed the insect and the insect died. And that was a sign of how sad and depressed he was in the story. Not very uplifting, I know. Some of you may remember the film Castaway. I don't know whether you can see that. Oh, it's a bit dark. But you'll see there a picture of Tom Hanks. The story is over, came out in 2000. It's a bit of an old film, but it's a very good film. I highly recommend it. It's about this guy who gets uh, uh, on a plane crash. He ends up uh, on an island all on his own for four years. And during that time, he kind of makes friend. Well, it's an imaginary friend, really. He finds a, a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball, uh, who kind of becomes like his friend. That's what Wilson ends up looking like, you know. And Wilson isn't obviously real, but to him, he needed to create somebody that he could connect with, and it's Wilson. As I say, Wilson has a bit of a hard time, but, you know, look at what happened to Tom Hanks. So, you know, it's, uh, it was all kind of relative. He's alone, and he needs this help. Now, we're in the last series, what's this got to do with Colossians? Well, we're looking at God's Word in Colossians. And... Uh, that's written by the Apostle Paul, one of the early church leaders. Uh, Paul had this great burden from God. He was really concerned about something. He wanted followers of Jesus to become what he calls mature in Christ, to carry on to maturity, to keep going uh, in their Christian faith, not just to start and then think, oh, well, I've done all of that. Now I can move on to the next thing, but to keep going on to maturity, keep going on living for Christ. And he wants that for everyone. Everyone he speaks to. He says that. We saw it a couple of chapters back. He says, I want everyone to be mature in Christ. And there's a man with him, because Paul is in prison when he writes this letter to the church in Colossae, a place where it was. And the man in, 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 with him who's visiting him in prison is called Epaphras, and he's come uh, to visit him in prison from uh, the city of Colossae. And that man, Epaphras, Paul says, also wants people to be mature in Christ. He especially wants the Colossians to be mature, to keep going, not to give up, but to carry on. And they need to carry on with Christ, and we need to carry on too. So how does that happen? How do we carry on? Well, it's partly through connections. Because in this letter, Paul has been telling us at the Colossians, but we're the ones who need to learn today, that we need to be connected or that we are connected with Jesus. Jesus has done something amazing when he died on the cross for us. 
He's become our Lord. He's, his life is connected to our life. He lives in us. And that was true for the Colossians, and that's true for us. They've become connected to God through Jesus. Jesus has done this thing for them. And it's all about, the book is all about how great Jesus is, how magnificent he is, all that he is as the Son of God, all that he's done for them. And what he does, he does properly. He does for good. And so what he's done for them is settled. It's happened. And they just need to live on in that because they're living in a world where it's not true for everyone. Not everyone is connected to Jesus in that way. They've been rescued, says Paul, from a kingdom of darkness. They've been transferred into the kingdom of God's son, the son that we read all about in Colossians. But there are battles to be fought. They have to live in a different way. Not the way they used to live. Not the way everyone else goes. They need to keep connected to the head, Jesus, living his life within his, uh, with his powerful Holy Spirit working in them. It's all about connections, you see. They keep going as they're connected to Jesus. Now, yesterday I went into my office. I've got a little office now upstairs. Um, and uh, it was Saturday. No one was here. I went in, turned the lights on. Do you know what happened? There was a little... They all went out. Oh, went out. Uh, and I went out and the lights in the corridor were on and the lights in the room next door were on. So I thought, oh, what, what's all this about? So, well, the trip switch had tripped and the, what had happened, I turned the light on, the bulb blew and the a circuit breaker tripped. So I came down and I turned it back on again. Now, um, I had to reset it. And then when I'd done that, obviously I needed to plug in the laptop. See, there needed to be an active connection. The building was already connected. But my room needed to be particularly connected and something had gone wrong and it had to be turned on. And I think sometimes our Christian life can be like that. You know, we, we're connected to God. We're connected to the Lord Jesus. We, we want to live for him. But there are times when we need to be actively connecting with him day by day. In our lives, sometimes things happen. We might do stuff that's wrong or things kind of circumstances come. We need to keep connected to Jesus. And in this part, the last part of the Colossian letter, we read of three kinds of ongoing connection we need if we're going to carry on with Christ. So let's just read the first part of this passage. Chapter four, verse two on page one, one, eight, four. See what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. How do we carry on with Christ? Well, we carry on with Christ as we're firstly connected to God through prayer. See that first word there? Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, it says. Keep at it. That's a very strong word, devote yourselves. It has the idea of keeping going at something when it's really hard to do. 
Uh, it's, uh, it's often used uh, in, the, in the New Testament, this word, as connected with prayer. The old translations translate it something like this. They say, it says, continue steadfastly. So I love that phrase, actually. This idea of keeping going in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Any of us who've tried praying will know that it's true. It's not easy. We have to keep being going on with it. I mean, if I had a tenor, um, not that I want one, if I had a tenor for everyone I know, uh, uh, and I, I suppose it'd even be, I'd make even more, if I, including all the staff, including myself, we got maybe double or triple for them. Um, I, I, I'd have quite a bit of money if I got a tenor every time someone said, do you know about Heartbeat, our monthly prayer time? You know, I, go, I, you know, I don't, you know, I think, oh, I don't know whether I want to go and I make myself go. And then afterwards, I think, why did I think like that? It was great. Anyone been like this? Or just me and the staff that like that? No, lots of us, you see. Might have made a hundred quid if, if you give me that. But do you see the point? It can be hard, but we have to kind of keep going at it. It's a battle. Prayer is not easy all of the time. It's not easy uh, most of the time. Some of the time it can be. But we need to keep going. Look at verse 12 in the passage. I know we haven't come to this bit yet, but it's part of it. Look, this is about Epaphras, this man who'd come from Colossae to visit Paul in prison. Tell him all about how they were doing. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. See, that's where we get, that's how we know Epaphras wanted them to carry on. He's praying that for them. But look how he prays. Wrestling. Is wrestling easy? Don't think so. I've not done it for many long years. And, you know, you see those. Yeah, I don't know whether I ever really did it properly. I was thinking like kids in the playground, not, you know, like sumos, you know, with those kind of, <laughs> those weird G-strings or whatever they wear. You know, they lock together and push hard and it, it's, it's hard. And Epaphras has been wrestling in prayer. Now, there are two ways, Paul tells them, they can be praying. Do you notice that? He says, be watchful. That means stay awake. It means be alert. What does that mean for us? What does it mean? Does it mean, well, sometimes it literally means, again, if I had a tenor for every time I'd, you know, been lying in bed praying and falling asleep at the time, I'd also be doing all right. But it's not just that. It's this sense of being awake spiritually, having your eye, your spiritual eyes open, having a way of looking at life and stuff that says, hey, what does God want me to pray for here? A bit like as Lou said earlier, being watchful in prayer means that I might get up in the morning and think, hey, um, I wonder, if, is there anyone I'm going to see today who I can invite to Alpha? See what I mean? Or, or you know, that's kind of being watchful, seeing stuff. Or being willing to see stuff, looking for what to, to, to pray for. It might mean that we stop and think about it as a place where God might work. That our lives might actually be a place where God might work. That the people that we actually live with and know and go to school with and have, uh, go to clubs with and on our front lines might actually be a place where God could do something. And so with that in mind, we keep our eyes open and that helps us to know 
what to pray for. Be watchful, it says. It means more than that, I think. It means we're also open to the Holy Spirit's nudges to pray. It means that at least. But it also says, so be awake, I've done that. It says also be thankful. And that's about, that's the other side. If watchful is kind of looking about what am I going to pray for beforehand or being aware of stuff I'm praying for, being thankful means I look back and say, well, what did God do? What can I thank him for here? But you see, both of those words are, are about the fact that God is doing something. I want God to, I'm, I'm looking to be part of what God is doing. Expecting to see things different. And Paul says that makes a real difference in verse 2 or verse 3 rather. Because he says, well, I'm in prison. There are others with me. He says, if you could just pray for us in prison. He says, well, I'm in prison because of the good news, the gospel I've been preaching. People have put me in prison accusing me of, of, of loving Jesus too much and telling too many people about him and, uh, you know, upsetting everybody by my preaching. And so I'm in prison here. And as I'm in prison, I want you to pray for me because as you pray for me, I'm going to be able to proclaim Jesus in prison because <laughs> it's, Jesus is almost on the charge sheet, if you like. So, so Paul is in a place where he's going to be proclaiming Jesus in prison as part of the process. And Paul says, now listen, Colossians, if you pray for me then the doorway for that message to be shared is going to be opened more easily so it says pray for us that god may open a door for our mystery so that we may proclaim the mystery of christ for which i am in chains paul's in prison he's got handcuffs on as he dictates the letter to the guy who's writing it down and going to take it to the colossian believers As they pray, it will make a difference to the message getting out from Paul. Now, we want the message of Jesus to make an impact, don't we? We spent our time at the AGM looking at our desire to see um, that many people come to know Jesus in the next few years. That's only going to happen if there's a door for the message. And the door for the message is only going to get opened as we pray, according to verse 2 and 3, isn't it? Which means that our prayer together is important. Heartbeat is important. It makes a difference. I've been involved a bit, in a very small way, with the Christian Union over a number of years at Southampton University. I haven't been to it. Well, I've spoken at it a few occasionally. I'm not a student. I haven't been to meetings. But I've been what's called an honorary vice president. How about that? Woo, you might say. (laughs) Well, you didn't, but you could have done. Um... And that means that a few of us church leaders in the town meet together with the CU committee uh, two or three times a year. And I've been doing that for about eight years, nine years. So over nine years, I've met with different CU committees. And they tell us how they're getting on and what they've learned. And we pray for them and give them any advice that they want. And it's a great time. You know, one of the things I've noticed, because over the period of time, uh, for example, most recently, I think it was this year or last year, they all merge into one after a while. Their events week, CU had an events week sharing the good news of Jesus. Lots of people came to know Jesus. It was unusually fruitful. You know what? The same year, there was a kind of revitalizing of their regular prayer time together. Conversely, a few years back, I remember one of the uh, people who came to do events, we stayed with us in our house, and we used to talk to him every night after. He used to watch Frasier, actually, uh, on DVD. It's a way of unwinding. And um, sometimes he would say, oh, it's tough. 
you know, it's really tough. And it starts in the morning because there's no one there praying, hardly. See, praying together opens a doorway for the gospel. When we get to, okay, let's take a break. Hey, you're going to have a break now uh, to talk to each other. Uh, I know we've kind of already done this. We could have sung a song, but I didn't choose one in time. So we're going to do that for two or three minutes. Talk about your week. Look back over the last week, if you like. You don't have to if you just like to sit quietly or get into a big enough group so you don't, you know, you don't feel embarrassed at listening to other people. That's okay. Or just sit quietly if you prefer. And, and as you look back on the week, think to yourself, is there any time when you kind of were particularly awake to something you should have prayed for or something God did? Or alternatively, thinking of that other word, being thankful. Is there anything you look back over the week and you think, hey, God answered my prayer about that or somebody was praying this. I'm going to give you two, only two minutes for that, okay? But it's a way of having a bit of a break so you don't have to listen to me for more than ten minutes at a time, okay? Go! Talk about something else if you don't want to. It's okay. Okay. Don't worry, there's no feedback. You don't have to share your private thoughts with anyone else. It may be traumatic enough to have shared them with the person next door to you. We won't ask for any more. Sometimes I find, I don't know about you, that it's only when you stop and think back that you notice things. If you find that, I sometimes try and do that examine thing that we learned earlier on. And at the end of the day think, yeah, why was God doing something? And I hadn't noticed it until I stop and think and Oh, yeah, that's, I can be thankful for that. So we carry on with Christ as we connect to God through prayer. But Paul goes on to talk about some other things as well. He talks about being connected with the outside world here. Woo, how about that? Connected with the outside world. Look at verse 5. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Now, that sounds like a bit of a... Um, you know, a, a strange word for us, but it, it's the, Paul uses it in different letters as a way of talking about people who aren't Christians. He means people who are outside the Christian community. And what he's saying is that being connected to God does not mean being disconnected from normal life and the rest of the world. Sometimes we meet Christians and you think, I wonder if they exist in normal life anywhere, you know? And Paul is saying, no, no, we, 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 we do have a life, quote, with outsiders. And we're connected with the outside world. And being, uh, carrying on with Christ means that we're bringing our life with Christ into every part of our lives, including our life with the people who don't yet know Jesus. So, you know, that's why we call that the front line, don't we? We've been thinking a lot about that in the last couple of years. And here it says that there are two ways that we engage with people in the outside world, as it were. Paul says, as you connect with people in the outside world, you're in, in the world of non-Christians, the world we all live and work and have neighbors and friends and families and so on. It's the way you act, he says, 
and the way we speak. And he calls that conversation. Now, it's interesting. It is conversation. Paul has been talking about proclamation, which he does in prison. He's saying, I'm not necessarily talking about you being like me in prison. I'm talking about you just talking the way your conversation is and the way your behavior is. There may be a time and there may be people who who need to be proclaiming stuff. That's true. Um, uh, But here Paul is saying your conversation. And what, what do our actions need to be? Our actions have to be wise. And our conversation, it says, must be gracious and salty. Hmm, what's that mean? Gracious. God's been so good to us. And we need to reflect his goodness, his generosity, his kindness. We need to treat other people the way God treated us, don't we? That's what being gracious means. And if God has forgiven me and accepted me as I am and started changing me, then that means I need to be up for forgiving other people and accepting them in the way God has accepted me. Not expect them to become somehow become perfect or a wonderful human being before I do anything or have anything to do with them. Be gracious and salty. Well, what's the whole point of it? Maybe this will help us. The whole point, it says, Paul says, so that you can answer when people ask you. See that? So that at the end of verse 6, you may know how to answer everyone. So maybe a salty conversation is a conversation that kind of lets people ask us questions, that maybe doesn't tell everything, everyone everything about what it means to be a Christian. You know, the first time you get a chance to say something, it's about a conversation with people. Ask people what they think. We listen to them a bit more. Then maybe they'll ask us. It might mean that we need to choose the way we stand up for what we believe. Yeah, it's right to stand up for what we believe. But let's do that in a wise way. A gracious way. A way that is attractive. Uh, Someone once said, think about salt is. Do you remember years ago, um, there was a a game called Sim City. It's still around, isn't it? Do you remember that, Sim City? Isn't it right that if you you could um, add salt to the ice cream... If you had ice cream uh, booths in a Sim City, if you added salt to the ice cream, you sold more drinks in your theme park. Anyone know that little trick? It's true. Because salt makes you thirsty. You, I don't know whether it's... I'm sure they fixed that. But is that right? People that are nodding. Yeah, you could. You could choose what went into the ice cream, couldn't you? And added a bit more salt. And so you sold more drinks. So may, maybe the thing about our salty conversation is, is that we have conversation that just makes people a bit more spiritually thirsty. So they ask us stuff. Maybe it's about that. It does tell us to make the most of every opportunity. That's the phrase that comes in Ephesians as redeeming the time, Lou mentioned last week. Redeeming the time. And the idea of making the most, it's the idea of buying up everything in the shop when you can. Now, you know, when Waitrose puts stuff cheap about seven o'clock at night, it's about the time we have elders meetings at half past seven, quarter to eight. 
And one of our elders loves to go into Waitrose and come to the elders meeting with at least one carrier bag, if not two, stuff full of stuff that he's bought up in Waitrose to share with the rest of us. That's what this is about. It's making the most, buying everything up while you can. That's the idea, making the most of every opportunity. And that's how we to live our lives. And it's interesting, the word for that kind of opportunity it's a particular word. It says um, it's a particular time. Make the most of redeeming the time or making most of the time. And the, way, the reason it's translated in the NIV like this is the word time is the Greek word called kairos. And, you know, time can mean different things. Time can mean all the time. And time can mean now is the time to start listening to me. So if you're not listening to me, okay. Some of you might have what I say. You see, I use the word time in two different ways. And here it's now is the time. Kairos is the moment is now. And Paul says there are times when the moment comes and we need to take that moment, take that opportunity. How do we know when that time comes? Well, perhaps that's why we have to be watchful, awake spiritually as we pray. So let's... uh, be connected with Christ as we live in the world. Let's act and speak in a way that reveals Jesus to people, that keeps us carrying on. Now, I wonder if we've got time for a quick break. Let me take just two minutes, because I'm going to uh, ask someone to get, maybe give us some examples. Uh, Louise, I'm going to ask you, thank you, I did prepare you. Now, Lou's very good at this because God's uh, blessed her in that way, uh, and it's to do with gifts and so on. I know you love having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Is there anything from your experience, that, anything you could tell us about kind of what you've learned on, uh, over the years in mm. conversations that are salty and, mm. you know, lead people to ask you questions? Do they ask you questions? Well, I think in that passage it talks about um, that your conversations are full of grace and seasoned with salt. And I suppose that's the bottom line is they need to be full of grace. They're very accepting and that it takes a long time you kind of pour a lot of sort of if you think of it as sort of sugar and salty popcorn you need a heck of a lot of sugar um i'll give three different examples of uh, three different people that i've known for various lengths of time so the newest friendship was still very much in that sweet time uh, lots of acceptance lots of listening lots of questioning she doesn't ask me anything so far but that's fine. Then I've got an, another friend who I've known about seven years through, and he often asks me stuff, you know, uh, presumptions that he has from the Bible. He'll say, what do you think? Um, and we haven't got very far. And then the third one is a, um, a good friend of ours that we've known 10 years. And, um, yeah, very interesting conversation. Just this week came over to play games with us, and he's in a situation where his girlfriend's moving And it's kind of crunch time for him. Does he commit to her or does he let her go? A really interesting thing about this guy is he's always been very strong on, you know, that philosophy of you've just got to be true to yourself. Do what's right. You know, I I can't commit to you because next week I might not feel like this anymore. What does he bring to the table this week at crunch point? He says, I remember having a conversation with Sarah. This is Sarah Whitcomb, who also knows him. And she said to me that marriage, love in marriage, is not about how you feel, but it's about sacrificing to the other person. And when did she say that? Who knows? Could have been 10 years ago. And it's in, that's the salt. 
that's now in our conversation that happened mm. this week on Wednesday night. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah. So okay. it's just day by day creating questions. Um, an example someone gave me once, and because uh, uh, I'm not very good at this, I'm one of these people who tends to, if I get an opportunity, want to blurt, blurt it all out at once, you know, and then people think, oh, what's up with you? You know. What? Um, uh, Billy Graham, who's a brilliant evangelist, a number of years ago, um, uh, was on the Parkinson show. That's a long time ago. And uh, he was being interviewed by Michael Parkinson. And, and Michael Parkinson said something to him like, so were you always religious or was this always being part of your life? And uh, Billy Graham said, no, no, I grew up. Blah, blah, and I was, uh, yeah, my dad had a farm or a business or whatever it was. And then, then when, I was, when I was 19, something happened to me. And, um, you know, everything was different left it there so what did michael parkinson have to say well what happened to you and he told him well i i jesus came into my life you know so it's that way you know you know i pray for the ability to to know how to kind of phrase things in that way that makes me think not that they feel manipulated but because they really want to know what what it is that makes us different or makes us tick well let's move on to our final little section because this is all about being connected with Christ through Christian community. And let's read verses 7 to 18. Uh, this is the rest of that. And don't worry, I'm going to go much quicker through these verses. Lots of uh, words here, long words. I don't know whether I'll pronounce them right, but here we go. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything about what is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And that's how Paul says goodbye. God bless. Yours sincerely, Paul. Saint brackets. No, he didn't. That came much later. Now, this letter has brought us some huge ideas, some massive theology, stuff about Jesus being uh, the fullness or, or, or the one who is the image of the invisible God, uh, stuff about how all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in, in Jesus Christ in bodily form, stuff about how our lives are connected to him, amazing stuff about what he did at the cross when he disarmed all the principalities and powers, stuff about he's going to reconcile the whole of the universe to himself one day. Some massive, huge, amazing truth in 
this letter. Uh, But look where it ends. It ends with this personal stuff. And as it ends, you realize that it's all this is all being kind of lived out in a really normal kind of community. The ordinary world of people and their relationships. And we're connected to Christ as we're connected to one another. Here's three things. First of all, we need one another. You see, Paul is the heavy-duty apostle. He's the heavy uh, kind of leader. He's planted churches all over the world in, of his time. Uh, and what about he works best with other people? He's not a kind of lone mega superstar. He says, look, I'm with all these other guys. And he calls them like Tychicus, my fellow servant, my dear brother. In fact, you'll see several times in this passage the word fellow this, fellow prisoner, fellow servant, fellow worker. It has the, the Greek word has the word S-Y and sin as a kind of attached to the beginning of it. It means that he's together with other people. And, and Paul is saying, I'm in prison. I'm doing this stuff. But I need all these people are with me and we're all doing this stuff together. We need one another. We're not to be like Lone Ranger Christians. If the Apostle Paul couldn't function without brothers that he trusted and people in ministry around him who shared with it, then how on earth do we think we can live our Christian lives kind of on our own, so to speak? We need one another. This passage tells us that. This passage also tells us that within this community, uh, within the Christian community, relationships matter a great deal. Now, there are two interesting names in this list. Here's one of them. Did you notice that? Onesimus. Now, Onesimus we read of elsewhere in the New Testament. Do you know who he was? He was a slave who ran away from his master, ran for it, thought I can't stand this job anymore I'm out of here and he ran away and he was met uh, by Paul somewhere else and he became a Christian he wasn't a Christian then and he became one Uh, Onesimus boss is Philemon and Philemon is a member of the Colossian church and Onesimus is going back to the Colossian to his master Philemon with a letter from Paul written and it's part of the New Testament you'll you'll find it on I got the page here somewhere no it's on page 1200 and in that little letter, Paul is saying, Paul is saying, Philemon, your, your slave, you know, that no good slave, that guy who ran away from you, you probably were glad he ran away because you probably would have fired him because he was so useless anyway. Well, look, he's become a Christian, he's been transformed, and I'm sending him back, welcoming him back, not as a slave, but as a brother, and he'll work for you still. Because the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon was being transformed. And that's part of the backstory. There's another name here. See this name? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Ooh. What happens to Paul and Barnabas in Acts 20? They had a huge row. If they could have had a punch up and remained godly, they probably would have done. But they didn't. But they had such a row, such a division. And what did they argue about? They argued about Mark who was Barnabas's cousin, and Paul wanted to say, I don't want Mark on our team anymore. He's let us down. I don't want him back. And Barnabas says, I want him back. And Paul says, I don't want him back. And Barnabas says, but I think he should have been. And they, and they split in their kind of ministry relationship. Now, a few years later, where's Mark? With Paul. In either Ephesus or Rome, depending on where he's writing this letter from. 
So the relationship has been restored. Does Paul write, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you know, spitting in the corner? No. Does he say, Mark, the cousin of that person I'll never mention again? No. The relationship has been restored. Because relationships matter, and it matters that in the, when Christian brothers and sisters fall out, that we get back together again. Because that's why Jesus died. That's what this table here is all about. And if you're out of relationship with a brother or sister, it might be good to, if we're singing a song, go and say, I'm sorry, before you take bread and juice in a moment or two. Relationships really, really matter. But also, finally, spiritual growth really matters. Because Paul says, I want Tychicus to, to tell you how, how we're going. And I want to know how you're doing. Epaphras is telling me. And we've heard about Epaphras before. And what does Epaphras is concerned about? Is he concerned about their health? Well, it might be. But he's concerned about their spiritual growth. It really matters. Paul wants to share with the Colossians how the group are there with him in prison are doing. Because they want, he wants them to know how they're getting on spiritually. Spiritual growth matters. Do we care about our brothers and sisters enough to worry about how we're doing spiritually? Does it matter? If so, why don't we talk about it? Are we willing to pray about it? Talk about it and then pray about it. Don't gossip about it. Pray about it and encourage one another. Allow that honesty in our community because it matters so much. Paul is so concerned about someone in Colossae that he shares a word, a prophetic word from the Lord for a particular person in verse 17. You can just imagine, you know, you're sitting in the congregation, the letter's been read out, and you're Archippus. <laughs> yeah, you're one of you's Archippus sitting in the congregation. Verse 17. See to it that you complete, no, sorry, tell Archippus. Oh, oh Archippus. It's me. Paul has a specific word for that brother that God's given him. Because, you know, he goes out on a limb, perhaps. But he just senses he should tell Archippus to keep going. That there's a particular reason. We don't know why. Perhaps God just gave him the word to share. We don't know. But he went out on a limb and he did it. Do we care enough about one another to do that? It's part of being connected to one another. So we're connected within community. We need one another. Our relationships matter. Our spiritual growth matters. And so we carry on with Christ. Carry on trusting him. Connected to God in prayer. Connected to the world around us through our behavior, in our conversations. Connected within real Christian community. Let's be like that with God's help, shall we? Going on to maturity, that he may be honored and glorified. Amen.